Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. So today we're going to be talking about Metrolink and carding, the economy's rebound and how racialized people are being left out of it, global warming's continued ascent, and enough other issues affecting Black people. So you guys might have heard that recently Metrolinx fired two young Black dispatchers and the dispatchers don't even know why. (laughs) This is a reflection of what Black people have been facing in the city of Toronto, certainly across the rest of the country, for the past few years with the advent of carding, the action of police randomly stopping Black people on the street and taking down their information. The problem with this, right, the police try to say that it it leads to great police work because it's a part of intelligence gathering. The problem with this is that, let's say that I were the person who was quote-unquote carded on the street one day. I didn't do anything wrong. They just wanted to quote-unquote gather intelligence. As a result of that interaction, my name is now in a police system. And so now whenever I go for job interviews and I do a police background check, my name pops up. It may not even necessarily say why my name pops up, but my name being there for certain roles means I'm disqualified. Disqualified. And I didn't do anything wrong. That's exactly what happened to these two Black dispatchers. I think you're exactly right, Curtis. And from my perspective, this should be illegal. You can't pull somebody over or or talk to someone when they're in their neighborhood and as a result of just breathing, put their name into a system and keep it there for only God knows how long. We don't even know. We don't even know. This, I think, is a perfect example of how anti-Black racism and the way that it has been systematized against Black people or poor people is affecting our economic viability. Because for them to go into the system and see, okay, background says that there was an interaction with police and then you fire them? Yeah. There's no cause. Nothing. It's sickening. It's sickening. And the, the like, whoever runs into this problem, for example, these two young Black dispatchers. They don't even know why they were fired. And Metrolinx doesn't even know why they fired them. <laughs> it's, so it's this, this huge circle of ignorance that is perpetuated by racism, and we don't even know where it stops. In the Canadian Human Rights Act, you are not able to discriminate against somebody if the charge has been pardoned. First of all, but that's, that's the first, and there's, there's no, we're not even talking about charges with this case, right? So that is the human rights standard of discrimination. 
These people were not even charged with anything. Nothing. And they've been let go from these roles? That's against the Canadian Human Rights Act. They surely have families to support. They're not just going out there and working so they can go buy their newest watch. Um, how are they going to do that? How do they do that? They can't. They can't. <laughs> right? Which we know is bad, right? So how are Black people supposed to make it in this country? Well, jumping from bad news to more bad news, well, there is good news. There's good news depending on what side of the, uh, the argument you're sitting on. Because for the economy, Canada actually added another 419,000 jobs in July, according to StatsCan's monthly employment report. But there was a big problem in all that good news, right? The employment rate for racialized groups is almost twice as high as for white Canadians. <gasps> Shocking. Yeah. The jobless rate for the entire population between the ages of 15 and 69 was 11.3% in July. For those who didn't identify as racialized or indigenous, though, the jobless rate was 9.3%. So higher for everybody who's not white. And here's where it gets far worse. The jobless rate was way higher for South Asians at 18%, Arabs at 17%, and finally Black people at 17% as well. Using an experimental method to gauge past employment, StatsCan estimated that South Asian and Chinese Canadians have experienced the largest jobless rate increases over the past year. It's a problem because it means many households will have less income. If households have less income, they spend less. That means that our number one driver of the economy, consumer spending, is at risk, which means the entire economy is going to be slower. Why are we doing this to ourselves? As you speak about this, I start to think about the concept of digital dexterity the ability to make the best out of technology for, for better business outcomes. And, and the fact that that digital dexterity is at a premium during the, the, the current crisis. And I think a lot of this is connected to the digital divide. And, and obviously more needs to be done to, to bridge this. We know this, but certainly the jobs that are going to be created from this point until about 2025 are going to be digital jobs. And as this crisis kind of, you know, displaces all of the repetitive tasks, like perhaps cashiers, new jobs that require that higher cognitive skill set are emerging. And COVID-19 has made this so much faster. So this week I was reading about how COVID has affected different Toronto communities, how it affected rich communities versus how it affected poor ones. The data I looked at in the Toronto Star showed that initially, Toronto's COVID cases were driven by younger travelers living by the waterfront and the islands. But eventually that changed, and Toronto's poor communities started to bear the brunt of the virus due to community spread. Then came the lockdown. And what I'm about to share with you guys is how the lockdown affected racialized people far worse than those who are white and more affluent. As COVID seized the city in mid-March, our leaders shut down schools and non-essential businesses. They told everyone who could to stay home. The message was one of unity. We're all in this together, right? You remember that? Yep, I remember that. Wrong. <laughs> Lockdown protected Toronto's richest, whitest neighborhoods, but not the poorest and most racialized ones. In Toronto's 20 whitest, for example, in Toronto's 20 whitest and richest neighborhoods, according to 2016 census, the widespread closures had an immediate and sustained effect. Almost instantly, rich and white people's COVID curve flattened. But you know what happened for the poorest 20 neighborhoods patients? 
For the 20 neighborhoods that were poorest and most racialized, the lockdown initially didn't do a damn thing. <laughs> Not a damn thing. Cases kept going up. They didn't start trending downward, as a matter of fact, until two months later. I mean, if you could look at this graph, you'd see that it tells a really distressing story for the poor and for people of color. And here's why. Only 40% of Canadians have a job that allows them to work from home, according to StatsCan. And the likelihood of having that kind of a job is lower, even lower among people of color. Visible minorities are more likely to be low-income earners, according to other research, too. That means closing the economy really only helped rich and white people because unless you were in those demographics, you likely either lost your job or had to risk being infected because you were an essential worker, otherwise known as being disposable. So, like, what does that look like in a city like Toronto? Well, it looks like this. While 48% of the city is white, white folks are only experiencing 17% of COVID cases. And while only 52% of the city is racialized, a whopping 83% of COVID cases are in people who aren't white. When we look at the data for income, people in low-income households make up more than half the cases from this period, but represent less than a third of the city's overall makeup. Some of Toronto's hardest-hit neighborhoods patients also have the highest percentages of nurse aides, orderlies, and, and patient service associates a StatsCan classification that includes personal support workers and other staff in nursing homes. In fact, in Toronto patients, migrants make up 79% of this occupational group. And we wonder why they're all getting sick. The data released from TPH reveals that Black people made up the biggest percentage of total cases at 21%. And our Latin American brothers and sisters had the highest infection rates at 481 cases per 100,000 people. The 19 neighborhoods with Toronto's worst infection rates are all in the Northwest, home to some of the city's biggest Black and Latin American communities. It's also in Doug Ford's backyard. Many residents there wouldn't have had the luxury of working from home. Mount Olive, in particular, has the city's highest proportion of people who work as cashiers, truck drivers, and laborers in plastics manufacturing. They're all essential workers. Well, Curtis, how do we solve this problem? Uh, I mean, we can start by listening to experts like Cheryl Prescott, who is the executive director of Black Creek Community Health Center, or Lieben Jibber Mikael, executive director of Taibu Community Health Center in Malvern, who have been calling for a plan of action to address these disparities for years. Like I'm talking decades, fam. If we removed anti-Black and brown racism, these disparities would not be as big. Also, the less money one makes, the less at risk they are. So maybe just pay people adequately and fairly and maybe build more affordable housing so people aren't destined for cramped quarters or even worse, the streets. I don't know, you know, but I'm all about solutions. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
Yo, Curtis, it's hot. I know. I know. I'm telling you, y'all need to check in with your bigger friends like me who sweat easily because we are not okay. (laughs) According to Carbon Brief and the World Economic Forum, this year is set to be either the warmest or the second warmest year on record. And this is globally. Yeah, that makes sense. After all, we're still spewing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Basically, yeah. Every region of the world has felt this. Scientists have even confirmed that this year's extreme heat would have been almost impossible without human-caused global warming. And that makes me happy to think about how the world has finally slowed down with the pollution. (sighs) We slowed down. I hope we keep it that way. There are some people who don't want that to be the case. Also, this last week, we saw a really massive explosion in Beirut, the capital of Lebanon. As of Saturday, August 8th, the explosion took 150 lives. Lebanon's government has blamed the huge blast that devastated parts of Beirut on the detonation of of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate that was stored at the city's port. Apparently, a Moldovan-flagged cargo ship named MV Roses has been there for seven years. And apparently the ship was supposed to be heading to Mozambique seven years ago, but was kept in Beirut for issues that are really unclear now. We are truly grieving with our Lebanese community. And for those of us who don't know, Canada is home to almost 220 Lebanese migrants or descendants. So we have a really big community here. And I I hope you're checking on your Lebanese brothers and sisters. Yeah, especially those in Quebec, because the majority of them do live in Montreal. Um, but whether, regardless of where you live in this country, you know, we are, we do need to support our Canadian brothers and sisters or our Lebanese Canadian brothers and sisters. Um, to date, our federal government has provided $5 million in relief. I know that many in the Lebanese community, they've uh, led by Mohamed Faki, who, as many will know, is the Paramount Fine Foods uh, CEO. Um, they've raised $2.5 million. So if you can support that community, please do, because the reality is that Every community is going to need support at one time or another. It doesn't matter what the reason is. And we we should show our humanity. So help where you can. Caribbean countries are calling for a paradigm shift in international financing. I'm really happy that a few countries are using this moment of racial revolution and, and pandemic awareness to ask for a change in the approach to their financing. The Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean has a committee secretary that has said, Quote, more must be done, both in terms of the scope and magnitude, to overcome the systemic crisis and ensure a recovery in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, end quote. In this moment, when countries are thinking about rebuilding, the commission says that in order to build back better, quote, expansive fiscal policies will be needed maintaining fiscal stimulus and avoiding austerity measures. And yeah, so Stephen Harper, shut the f- <laughs> I mean, because you've been seeing how he's been going through like the, the, the Wall Street Journal and everything, trying to bring about more austerity, right? So he can shut the hell up. Yeah, austerity doesn't work when you have to be nimble, right? No. When you have to be agile and respond to things that are emerging, like a global pandemic, that is not over, right? We've just gone through the first phase or the first wave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, austerity... Austerity measures are, are good in times, or are, are better, if not good, better in times of stability, not in times when you have to be really agile in responding to, to what is happening around you, your environment. Austerity always makes those who are rich more rich, and it always makes those who are poor more poor. So 
I mean, look, if we're trying to build back better, as we just talked about, austerity isn't the way. It's that simple. So do not listen to anybody like Stephen Harper or anybody who is on the right side of the political spectrum who uh, would like to advocate for that. And by the way, what I've, you know, we've learned this recently, not all conservatives are doing this. We've got Brian Mulroney who's saying he's in favor of things like universal basic income and the furthest thing away from austerity. Same with Kim Campbell, right? So don't listen to the toupees trying to usher in a new round of austerity. Many countries in Latin America and the Caribbean have suffered since independence from bad deals with North American and European countries. So working together and calling for this shift is really key to greater equality for us. When I say us, I mean that to say that, you know, when our countries, countries that we came from or countries that we descended from are seen as more equal, then we will be seen as more equal. This is a direct result of, of how things work, how power works in a geopolitical globalized world. That is very interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, you said it and it made perfect sense, but I've never even thought about that before. So there's a lot happening that's black, blackity black this week. Oprah Winfrey commissions 26 billboards, all demanding arrests in Breonna Taylor's killing. 26 billboards were purchased, one for every year that Breonna Taylor was alive. Wow. Each of them reads, quote, demand that the police involved in killing Breonna Taylor be arrested and charged, end quote, and encourages people to visit untilfreedom.com. Perfect. The billboard artwork features the cover image of the September issue of O Magazine and Yo Curtis. This is the first time in the O Magazine's 20-year run that Oprah Winfrey has not been on the cover. She understood the gravity of the moment. Exactly. Breonna Taylor is centered in that moment. Oh, a more Canadian story. The Crown has appealed the Theralt brothers' acquittal in the Defonte Miller beating case. Good. Yep. Crown lawyers have appealed the, the acquittals of Michael and Christian, each found not guilty of aggravated assault and not guilty of attempting to obstruct justice. Sorry, I was just saying, even though they clearly did. Clearly. Clearly. Next, the NBA's Board of Governors and the National Basketball Players Association have finalized plans to create the first NBA foundation that will work to spur economic growth in the Black community. They announced on Wednesday that the initial contribution will be $300 million over the next decade. The National Basketball Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts says, quote, given the resources and incredible platform of the NBA, we have the power to ideate, implement, and support substantive policies that reflect the core principles of equality and justice we embrace. And you know, Patience, so we, we talked about whether or not we both were in favor of the NBA coming back. Yep. And um, at the time, I believe you had said that you were in favor of it returning, and I said I was not in favor. Yep. I'm wondering if your thoughts have changed. Wait, I, I was in favor of it coming back. So, I, no, my, my thoughts have not changed at all. I think, I think they, have they have propelled the conversation forward, which is not to say that, I don't know if you saw what the WNBA did, Mm -hmm. They did, they they did just far more. Fused, like, yeah. um, which I think is is powerful mm -hmm. in a moment. Yeah, but it doesn't propel, like, it doesn't allow 
for you know every game to have a different I, I feel like every single nba game is is adding more to the conversation they're speaking to players before the game and they're, they're bringing up brianna taylor they're bringing it up after the game like it's it's a constant conversation it's on their jerseys um, it's on their jerseys yeah yeah what about you are you regretting are you <laughs> no i don't <laughs> not regretting sorry are, are, you, are you feeling differently now yeah i am i am i um i didn't want the nba to return because i thought that things would get lost in the sauce but i mean our raptors in particular they're doing a real good job keeping this conversation that going. bus yo that bus i mean it's it's it, the bus is a big part of it, but it's it's all it's almost so much more than that because I mean they brought in, and I wish I had read this more recent. But the person who was responsible for their entire campaign, he like they empowered him, <laughs> they empowered him, and he has something for us. So um, you know if if the campaign that he's put together is as effective as I think it's going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong, and uh, you know I'm happy the NBA is back. The last big black, blackity black story this week is the donations to the historically black colleges and universities in the United States. Three historically black colleges and universities announced on Tuesday that they have each received the single largest donation in their university's history. Jeez. Howard University, um, Xavier University of Louisiana, and Hampton University all received the single largest donations in their university's history. Who did they get it from? Well, <laughs> Mackenzie Scott. And Mackenzie Scott gave six HBCUs a total of $1.7 million. Historically, Black colleges haven't had access to the same resources as predominantly white schools in the U.S. And I really want to remind you all that HBCUs were created in the United States because Black people were not allowed to attend other universities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, widely acclaimed universities like Harvard, Yale, Princeton didn't allow Black people to attend them until the 1960s. Mm -hmm. My parents were born in the 1960s. Same. Okay? So that is, that is a generation ago. In addition to Mackenzie Scott, who, yes, is the ex-wife of um, Centa Billionaire, I think is, is what they call them now, Jeff Bezos. So in, in addition to her donation, Netflix CEO donated $120 million. Uh, half of it went to the United Negro College Fund, which is a scholarship foundation for Black students and private historically Black colleges and universities. And the other half went specifically to Spelman and Morehouse Colleges, both located in Atlanta. I just want to say one comment in response to Mackenzie Scott yeah. uh, making that massive donation to HBCB, uh, HBCUs. And, and, and what is that, Curtis? What's some respect on her motherfucking name? Come on. I've seen bare people talking about, oh, Jeff Bezos' wife or Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. She has a name. She's a person. She's not somebody else's ex-wife. She is not to be recognized because of somebody else. She is a person in her own right. Questions for the audience. So last week, guys, something interesting happened. I went to a local restaurant on Friday, and I'm not going to tell you which restaurant it was um, because it's, it's a, apparently a staple of the region that I live in, which is Durham. 
um, but it's also not a fast food chain. But anyway, I ordered my food and it was a Philly cheesesteak and I was the only person in the restaurant ordering at the time. Um, I was asked to go outside and wait for 10 minutes before my food was ready. When I came back in to get my food, I did. And I looked at the receipt. I saw that what was written on it in terms of where it says the customer name, they had written BG. Now, I wonder what BG stands for. What do you think BG stands for? See, because I know that just last month, even in Scarborough, a Chinese woman went to a local restaurant and on her receipt, the cashier had noted her name as China. When the woman asked, well, why did you make my name out to be China? The cashier said, well, oh, sorry, it's because I tried to write your name as Miss Chan, but the autocorrect changed, changed it to China. But the customer's response was, but why would you call me Miss Chan? Because I never gave you my name, nor is my last name Chan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the levels people will go to. to the levels. So, again, the question. I wonder what, what do you think BG stands for? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. Black people, you know this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs. I'm on Instagram at Patience Eve. And I'm on Instagram at State of Vermont. See y'all next time. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.